This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 20. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman. And I'm joined today by our producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. Happy to be here again with you, man, and uh, to the people who are listening. Yeah, and for those viewing, uh, you'll note that uh, Matthew has recently trimmed his hair in an effort to look more like me. It's uh, it's a company policy now, just so you guys know. <laughs> Jacob's making everyone shave their heads, so no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, uh, I should I should you know grow out the beard, and then <laughs> you and I could be twinners. <laughs> I, need gr- I need to grow about a foot and a half. Yeah, that's twins, true. But. Or I could shrink. <laughs> I could, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Anyway, welcome to the show, folks. Uh, today's episode is our news and gear reviews episode. So we've got a bunch of news stories to share with you. And also later on, we will share with you a couple of product reviews as well. So we look forward to that. Uh, and stay tuned. Uh, later in the episode will be uh, this spicy news uh, uh, article, if you will. Uh, we'll talk about this new story that was the inspiration behind today's episode title, Smith & Wesson's Big Mistake. What is that mistake? Well, you'll want to find out, so stick around. First, today's episode sponsored by Silencer Shop. Silencershop.com is the place to find them. I was so excited just a week or two or so ago. I picked up my second suppressor uh, that I bought from and use Silencer Shop's services to uh, acquire. So guys, let me tell you, if you think, and I think you should, if you are interested in getting a suppressor or getting another suppressor, maybe you've already got several, but I'll tell you what, the more, once you buy one, it's kind of hard to stop there because uh, you get one for one gun. You go, well, man, it should be nice to have one for that gun or that caliber or this thing or that thing. Uh, Guys, uh, I strongly encourage you to check out Silencer Shop and their services. Go to silencershop.com today. See the full lineup of products on their website. They make it super easy to purchase. And there's free shipping. And all free shipping and transfers and everything associated with transferring it from them to your chosen local dealer where you will then go in and finish the process for applying for uh, the the actual... uh, it, well, it makes no sense to do anything other than the e-form four. Okay, so that's the way you want to go. So file your e-form four, uh, get into your local silencer shop kiosk uh, uh, de- dealer or a dealer that has one of their kiosks. That's what I'd recommend. Do your fingerprints, do all that, and get that ball rolling. All right. And I just saw a week or so ago they had yet another special where you bought. A uh, certain suppressor, I can't remember which ones it was that they were doing the special on at that time, but if you bought uh, any number of these particular brands of suppressors, you got a free tax stamp, meaning that Silencer Shop was covering your $200 tax stamp fee. So, guys, silencershop.com, we appreciate their support of the podcast for being our title sponsor and making what we do here possible. 
Also, CCW Safe is our other sponsor of today's episode. CCW Safe, uh, we've been members of for a number of years now. CCW Safe also sponsors. They are our presenting sponsor of the Guardian Conference, which we'll be having again in 2023, September of 2023, next year. And they are the best folks, I believe, in the industry that provide a self-defense coverage program, meaning that if you ever have to use your gun in self-defense, give them a call. All right. In fact, that should be your, besides a 911 call, if, if uh, that's what you got to do, all right, uh, if somebody else can make that call for you, that, that's, that's okay too. But besides a 911 call, call CCW Safe first and make sure you get them rolling. Their emergency response team will, will come to you potentially or will especially talk to you over the phone, guide you through the process, the aftermath of dealing with a self-defense incident. Sign up today at ccwsafe.com. Please use the code CCPODCAST to save 10%. Or consider joining Guardian Nation, our, our membership program, which also entitles you to a 20% discount at CCWSAFE. That coupon or discount uh, code is available in the Guardian Nation members dashboard area. CCWSAFE.com, again, for the best self-defense coverage in the industry, in my opinion. And we, again, appreciate them for their support of the podcast and everything we do here. And welcome to those of you joining us live, Scott and Connor and others watching and viewing us today. And those of you that aren't viewing or listening to the podcast after the fact, we appreciate you as well. Let's get into our news episode now at this time. We're talking about the news. We got a bunch of stories for you. The first one we're going to try to uh, explain as best as we can. Uh, Matthew, why don't you just quickly summarize for, for folks uh, what 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 the law was that was passed in Oregon and then I'll try to you know tag team with you and explain the current lawsuits that are going going on there yeah so basically if you recall uh, ballot measure 114 in Oregon was this comprehensive uh, gun control bill and it did a, a bunch of things. Um, it was, you know, uh, magazine capacity limit, limit laws, uh, a, a license just in order to purchase a firearm, um, all kinds of different stuff was jammed into this thing. So it passed, uh, in, I, it was very, it passed by a very thin margin. Um, so immediately, cause this, this was, I mean, even this was after, uh, the Bruin case, right? So, you know, uh, th- this was this was something that every was on everybody's radar as this can't possibly be it, this can't possibly pass, right? Um, it did, and immediately there were lawsuits uh, challenging every different aspect of this law, and so now um, there are many different cases that are going on with this, uh, similar to the New York law, um, but different restraining orders on uh, or um, uh, freezes on different parts of the law. And we're just sorting out kind of what's coming back as far as what's been uh, stayed and what's been denied and all kinds of stuff. So um, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. You, you, you know, have a good idea of what's going on with all these different cases uh, as, as much as we can. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, again, just to build off of what you just were explaining, I mean, keep in mind, guys, that the law was going to require, it is going to require, I mean, it's not like it's been overturned yet, uh, but we certainly hope that will be the case. But it's going to require a purchased 
or a permit to purchase a firearm, right? But to get that permit, you'd have to take a training class. So a mandatory training requirement, uh, which was not very specific as to what that would re- would enti- entail or require, but you got to take a class just to get a permit, just to buy a gun, right? We're not talking about a permit to get a concealed carry permit or license. We're talking about a permit to buy a gun. Okay. Now, that some people would be, like, would be like, well, that's similar to the firearm owner's identification card in like Illinois. Yeah, but theirs is, and I'm not saying that's okay either. Like that, <laughs> that should not be a requirement either. But it's a lot less stringent in Illinois to get a FOID card than it is to get this permit in Oregon. Okay. So mandatory training class, you'd have to get fingerprinted, turn in passport fo- pictures, pass a background check, pay a fee. You'd have to renew that permit to purchase every five years. Okay. You, this wouldn't replace the need to do a background check (laughs) when you go to a gun shop to buy a gun. And there was something too about how like to get a gun, you had to have the permit, but to get the permit, you'd have to have a gun to take the training class that you would need. So you would have to, I guess, rent a gun, I I presume, uh, to even take the training required to then buy the gun (laughs) that you're basically training for. Um, And then the other thing was that gun shops would have to give all records of transfers to the Oregon State Police. Okay. So that's creating a state-level firearms registry. Okay. Which, again, that's not entirely unique in that, you know, somewhere like uh, Hawaii or California have similar registries, okay? Then it also banned magazines with greater of 10-round capacity, uh, and, and of course, that's that's problematic as well. Okay, so, so there's, just keep in mind, there's all those different components, a training component, a permit to purchase component, a firearm registry, registry component, a magazine capacity ban. So, Gun Owners of America along with Gun Owners Foundation and two Oregon residents filed a a, a a suit, filed a temporary restraining order against ballot measure 114, specifically going after the permit to purchase uh, requirement, claiming that, that, that it violated uh, Oregon state constitution. Okay. They were successful in obtaining a temporary restraining order. And this is critical right because basically we have that's what, that's that's the process here obtain 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 a tro to buy time because this law by the way after only being passed by ballot, ballot measure barely more than a month ago was set it was set to take place was to set to go into effect one month later 30 days later mm-hmm. which is insane there's almost nothing that we pass law wise like even your most innocuous, most basic, most simple laws, usually when a legislature passes them, for instance, they usually won't put them into effect for until like let's let's say it gets passed in January or February or March. It may not go into effect till July or August or September, okay, or even the following year. So they pass this ballot measure, and that's just how terribly this whole thing was worded, right, and planned, like terrible planning on their part. But, of course, the people in the organizations behind passing this ballot measure don't give a crap. So 30 days later, expected to have this go into effect, which would have been December 8th. But Gun Owners of America, their, their, their lawsuit, uh, their 
filing for a temporary restraining order uh, was granted because otherwise the law would have had to have kicked in on December 8th, right? So now there's a little bit of time while we go to the next <laughs> the next thing, which there's org- arguments being pre- uh, going to be presented in court, uh, making uh, a stronger case, you know, making the case for why the certain aspects of this law should be overturned. Now, realize, folks, that people think, well, why can't we just get the whole thing overturned? And that that would be ideal. But you have the best success in going through the court system in attacking specific parts and pieces of the law, right? And that's why you sometimes will see, say, like the, uh, the, the New York Bruin decision or the Heller decision, or even the McDonald decision, those rulings actually ha- are fairly narrow in certain aspects, right? Because they were about specific parts or pieces of laws that were passed or infringements that occurred. And so Gun Owners of America is going after one aspect of this ballot measure, okay, of this state law. Uh, what I'm also wanting to explain, this is what Matthew is referring to, right? Why don't you explain the other stuff? There's really, to my knowledge, four, and there could be others, four lawsuits that have been filed or temporary restraining orders that that have been filed against the state of Oregon. Uh, That's just one of them, the Gun Owners of America one. Firearms Policy Coalition is involved in two other uh, filings, one that it involves uh, the it involves a man by the name of Mark Fitz. It's known as the Fitz versus Rosenblum. Rosenblum's the state attorney general in Oregon. In case you're wondering, uh, Fitz versus versus Rosenblum involves a man by the name of uh, Mark Fitz. Gray Guns, whom I must state is a sponsor of mine as a competitive shooter. Uh, it's the same Gray Guns that many of you are familiar with that does customization work on P320s and HK pistols and things like that. SIG pistols and HK pistols, uh, a, a company known as G4 Archery and uh, Second Amendment Foundation are all involved in that filing, and they're specifically going after the large capacity magazine ban. Okay, and then you have another filing that's also backed by Firearms Policy Coalition, uh, which is as uh, as a party versus Rosenblum, which is going after Oregon's cannot issue gun permit law. Okay, um, and I'm not going to go into too much more detail here because I'm taking plenty of time. Uh, but then there's a fourth uh, a filing of for te- a temporary restraining order, which is backed by the NRA as well as the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, and that one is is known as Iyer versus Rosenblum. Okay, and that one is going also. Uh, they're they're filing against the permit to purchase requirement as well. So. Uh, some of these have been granted temporary restraining orders and others have not been quite as successful just yet, or some are still in process. So point is, again, we could take a lot of time. We don't have necessarily a lot of time here today because we have a lot of other news to cover, but I wanted to explain that there's these four different suits that are going on uh, so that you kind of are prepared because there's a lot, there's a lot of activity there and there's going to be a lot of news coming in the coming weeks and months. And it may get confusing because you may hear about, well, this thing got granted and that thing did not, you know, this law got, you know, temporarily suspended and that one did not. And, and, and it may be confusing because because some of these are originating in county courts and, and district courts and, and they're coming from different places. Okay. And at, going after different 
components of the law. And obviously the hope is, is that all of those would eventually be successful in getting this ballot measure overturned, but perhaps maybe not all of them will be successful. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll try to follow this. I, I need to actually dig a little bit deeper and make sure I get a little bit firmer grasp of everything that is going on. Um, and, I, and I just haven't had time to read about everything. And the problem here is we have all these different uh, lawsuits taking place and uh, it, it makes it hard to, to track and stay on top of all of that in, you know, in, in, in the midst of everything else right, right. that uh, we have going on. But I'm going to try to do a little bit more reading up on that, but just know that those are the different cases that I'm aware of currently and kind of some of the different pieces of the ballot measure that those cases are going after. My, my, the last thing I saw was that, uh, that the, that the magazine capacity portion, which is the gray guns, uh, firearms policy coalition suit was not quite yet successful. In other words, the court denied the motion. It says here for a temporary string order on the ban of magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. Um, but they did uh, uh, put in place that temporary restraining order on the permit to purchase law, recognizing that the system, the state system, uh, is not going to be ready. Uh, there's uh, county sheriffs that are saying, there's even a county sheriff that's involved in one of these lawsuits as well, saying that uh, it, it's it's going to take months for people just to buy a single gun with the way, you know, like if, if, if this goes forward and they have to implement this system, it's going to be at least months, many, many months just for someone to buy a gun because not everything's in place. Uh, and so they're really figuring it out as they go. I don't know if, in, if I think there's a lot of people in Oregon that were a bit caught off guard by the fact that this ballot measure did in fact pass. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's severely unfortunate. Uh, it's, it's terrible that, uh, barely a majority, a slim, slim margin of a majority of Oregonians uh, didn't understand how bad this law is and the ramifications of this law um, and would actually, you know, by the the falsehoods, uh, by that, you know, the, the belief that somehow this ballot measure would make their state and their community safer, which obviously we know that's, that's far from the case. Uh, but uh, fortunately, that's what happened, and uh, now everybody is uh, going to have to be playing some catch-up as far as getting those things in place in order to comply with the law. Um, but then also, we're trying to attack this with a full court press uh, from all these different organizations. And, and by the way, kudos to Gun Owners of America, Firearms Policy Coalition, the NRA, National Shooting, Sport, Shooting Sports Foundation, Second Amendment Foundation, all being right there at the ready uh, with funds with the ability to to go after and 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 fight these legal cases because they're going to cost a lot of money. They're going to cost the state of Oregon a lot of money too, which you know I'm not I'm not shedding any tears about. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see these organizations. And by the way, you should support uh, any or all of these organizations as you see fit. Uh, I'm particularly partial to Firearms Policy Coalition. I, I I truly believe in the work that they do. They do fantastic work and are uh, uh, just an absolute awesome uh, organization uh, in as far as their approach, uh, mostly because they don't get particularly uh, involved in partisan politics. They, they stay very focused on the issues surrounding the second amendment and fighting cases um, that, uh, you know, 
are, are violating the Second Amendment, and they do a great job in that way. Some of the other organizations also do good work uh, as far as in the legal court systems, but also get a little bit more partisan, and I'm not as keen about some of that. But anyway, so support these organizations because they're going to need uh, our help as well, fu- funding-wise, I think, just to be able to tackle all these cases. So sorry, I went on for a long time, but there's a lot going on there. And it's also somewhat complicated just trying to keep in, uh, up to speed on all the different uh, people and organizations involved in these suits. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'll shut up now. So uh, <laughs> Matthew, tell us about, <laughs> here's some gun news, folks. Yeah. Some, a, a recent gun, uh, new gun release from Ruger. And uh, Matthew will tell us about it. Okay, so after all that, this uh, this is going to be a flop. Um, now, it's uh, Ruger released the Ruger Security 380. Um, so if you imagine Ruger, uh, this is this is basically Ruger's take, in, in my opinion, Ruger's take on like a, uh, e- a Shield Easy. Um, it's a, it's Glock 43 ish in size, right? It's, it's a, it's a compact. It's not a super, uh, micro compact. Uh, it's obviously chambered in 380. It's, uh, 10 round, 10 plus one and 15 plus one capacity. So that's, that's good. Um, it seems like it has some s- slide serrations and some cuts in the slide, some decent sights. Um, the, the main thing is it has a light rack racking with a, uh, reduced recoil spring. So you can rack it a little bit easier. Um, and, and you know, the size coupled with, you know, a, a 380 cartridge probably means that the, the recoil, uh, impulse will be a little, little, uh, diminished there. It's a little, uh, much better than, you know, a micro shooting a micro compact 380, um, yeah, n- nothing too crazy, um, you know. Um, yeah, I know it, it's got a manual safety on it. I don't know. I, I'm not huge on you know Ruger handguns, um, but you know if you like a 380 and you you trouble you have trouble racking the slide, uh, Shield EZ or something like this might might be uh, something you're looking for. I don't yep. know. What do you think? Ah, I mean, it's a 380. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't get me super excited. I don't particularly have a, a need for this gun, but somebody, like you just said, somebody out there might find value in this. Um, as long as it's well made and the quality is there, uh, yeah, I don't see a problem, but that, you know, quality with Ruger has been hit or miss uh, here and there over sure. the years. Um, I have to look at it, though. <laughs> I'm looking at the images of it right now, and immediately, where's, where's my mind go? Uh, well, since we now meaning concealedcarry.com owns uh, a holster company. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately know that the questions will be coming in. Do you all make a holster for the Ruger Security 380? And first of all, you should know, we don't really make a whole lot of holsters for any Rugers, as a, at least as of right now. That could always change, but uh, it's just not something that uh, we're set up to make. So I think the one that we do make a holster for is the LC nine, I think. Um, but I, I start looking at it from that angle is, Oh, great. Another gun. And I hope that this gun will fit the same, you know, if we, if we were making say uh, holsters for the Ruger security nine, uh, I would hope that the security 380 is similar enough to fit into the same holster. Cause that makes a holster maker's life so much easier. <laughs> but I also know 
looking at you, Sig Sauer, and uh, let's see, what's the other one I was thinking of recently? Sig is definitely on my naughty list right now as far as the P365, P365 XL, and then the X Macro, which is totally different from those others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, such is the life of making holsters. Mark Cook says, you don't need a permit anywhere in America, people. The Second Amendment, the Dick Act, prevents any government from taking any type of gun from its citizens. You all spend way too much time on talking points that have no logical outcome that doesn't align with our Constitution, period. Well, Mark, that's why we have a court. You know, the, the, the government is split up into three branches, right? I feel like I'm going back to high school government class. Uh, and the... Uh, Judicial branch is the one where we bring cases to the judiciary and say, this is unconstitutional. And if we're actually going to be constitutional, that's actually how we're supposed to operate when we find fault with problems with constitutional infringements. Or we elect people that pass the right laws. Yeah. And that's, that's how it works. Or you can, you, and you're welcome to, you know, uh, disregard law, Mark, and live your life in the way you want to. And that works great until you get caught. Um, and then, you know, we'll be reading about you in the news. But uh, I, f- I fully, like, my, I, I, I'm like, yeah, I agree. Like, I think so many of these laws are unconstitutional, of course. Uh, but what, what do we do about that? Well, anyway, let's go now, Matthew. Give us an update here on... Because you wrote this article, so that's why I'm turning it to you uh, on uh, concealed carry, New York.concealedcarry.com. New York gun law loses in court again. So yeah. we're, we're talking about the Bruin. Uh, well, we, you're referencing the Bruin uh, ruling here, but tell us about what's going on in New York and what did they lose again, I guess. Yeah, so the Bruin case, uh, you know, in, in response to the Bruin case, uh, which – basically knocked down uh, New York's uh, proper cause requirement for issuing permits, uh, requiring somebody to have proper cause before they would issue a permit. Um, the The state passed the CCIA, the, the um, Concealed Carry Improvement Act, and that was the New York law that had all the restrictions similar to what, what we we're talking about in Oregon, right? Um, it, it, you know, it, it put um, massive restrictions on where you could carry firearms and all kinds of different things. Um, so similar to what happened in Oregon, there were different cases um, in the, in, in this latest one, um, the judge issued a restraining order. And um, th- this one is Antonik, uh, A-N-T-O-N-Y-K, Antonik, I don't know, versus Hochul. Yeah, That's what Antonic I'd say. Versus yeah. Hochul. <laughs> and, Which is uh, uh, the governor. Right, Hochul is the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that uh, case has to do with different uh, carry zones, uh, you know, sensitive, they call them sensitive areas. And basically everything became a sensitive area. Um, and so that challenged that part. Uh, there was a restraining order uh, issued or sustained in that part, uh, Antonic versus Hochul. Then there's Hardaway versus Negrelli. And that was October 22nd. And this uh, dis- U.S. District Judge Sinatra, I just thought I'd throw that out there because it's a cool name. Uh, but he issued a restraining order against um, 
the portion of the 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 law that had to do that banned concealed carry in churches uh, flat out, and 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 you know even the as the um, you know the leader of that that congregation that church they didn't even have a say in it. So uh, this this um, case Hardaway it was joined by um, a couple other. Uh, religious entities and, and people. And so that's Hardaway versus Negrelli. That was strike two. That was, um, you know, sustained and the uh, restraining order issued. So that's strike two. Strike three was Christian versus Negrelli. Um, and this uh, had to do with concealed, uh, banning concealed carry on, on certain private property where the proper, you know, the owner didn't even have the right, similar to the church, didn't have the right to say, yeah, well, I want to allow concealed carry. I can't, it, that took that away. So, um, so the three strikes, you know, that was uh, the third one. And so right now what's going on in New York is this law that came, you know, and, and even uh, Hochul even said that it was in response to Bruin, that it was a direct result of the, the the ruling Supreme Court ruling that they passed this super fast and it was it, it, it's being knocked down left and right so we'll have to just keep following these cases and they're not conclude you know they haven't concluded just because there's a temporary restraining order issue doesn't mean that the law you know is going to go away it's just not being in, in, enforced right now and so we just have to stay tuned to this stuff yeah yep so we're seeing uh, something pretty similar t- in New York State as kind of <laughs> what we're starting to see in Oregon is thanks to the Bruin decision, New York was forced to institute uh, policy that brought things more in line with the Constitution, with the Second Amendment, uh, as far as allowing people to carry firearms or conceal firearms. And uh, uh, their rush to pass laws to deal with that in their typical New York city fashion. Cause as we know, New York state, much like other similar States are ruled by their major metropolitan area or areas. Uh, anyway, it's, it's a uh, very satisfying to see how these things keep getting uh, pushed back and turned around um, because of uh, well, because we got to abide by the constitution and the Bruin decision is, is a massively important decision in this regard. So very, very awesome to hear. Very awesome to see. Again, we'll see how maybe even Bruin plays into things going on in Oregon. There's certainly some potential for that Mm -hmm. as well as the Heller decision, the McDonald decision and others. Very, very important stuff. How did confidential gun permit data get leaked is the next story on vcstar.com. Uh, I'm just going to try to summarize this as best I can. But, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the state of California's re- re- firearm registration scheme, if you will, and their permitting scheme and everything there. And, and, and we've, we've talked about how people's uh, private uh, information uh, got leaked in that case, dealing with concealed carry permits, uh, or was that registered? I might be getting it mixed up. Keep the, me straight, Matthew. Here, because there, again, there's so much. Yeah, this has to do with the the permits. The okay, so of, was the per- yeah. Permits. Okay, all right. I started second guessing myself, mm-hmm. thinking about all these other things going on. 
Um, but uh, it says here, California Attorney General Rob Bonta and the state's gun owners uh, obvi- have always have obviously been already warring over the state's very tight gun control laws. Okay, so back when the Bruin decision was issued, right? Uh, again, talking about the impact that that could have. Well, we're looking at states, yes, you, California, and yes, you, Hawaii, by the way. That could have been a new story in today's episode, Matthew, that uh, folks in Hawaii are actually getting, we think, yeah. There, I just saw um, just recently a post from a friend in Hawaii about how uh, they were they're finally able to get permits issued in Hawaii to carry concealed, which is a miracle. But uh, – because because of the Bruin decision, because of the impact that that's having there over in a, in a state where getting a permit was dang near impossible. And in California, California is an interesting state because you have a state where they left it to the specific counties and their sheriffs and all that to issue permits, right? And so you got some counties and some sheriffs that were like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, just do this, do that, sign this, pay your pay your money, here's your permit, Right versus other counties where it's virtually impossible to get a concealed carry permit in California. So the question is, though, back in, uh, when was this? June or July of this year? The state of California issued it or launched a new website aimed at giving the public access to data about criminal justice, including how many Californians had concealed weapons permits. But very quickly, people discovered that they didn't just release a number of people that had permits, but also release those people's names and addresses and other confidential, personally critical information. Oh, what a flop. What a major, major flop. So apparently last week, the state attorney general's office released a 61 page report on the data breach investigation, uh, which concluded it was caused by the errors of the ill-trained technician who operated the website compounded by managerial failure to double check its integrity. You know what this says to me, Matthew Hmm. is it's, it's, it's all a failure of state of California leadership. It's all a failure of state attorney, attorney general Rob Bonta in his office. Uh, why? Because somebody somewhere said, you know what? We're going to put all this information out on a website. Well, who's going to do that? You, good sir. You're going to do that. <laughs> so somebody is given the task. Here, put this information on a website. And then nobody fails to actually oversee that properly as far as how that's done and how it's done uh, in a way that protected people's privacy, right? Mm-hmm. So this this whole so the summary of the report is leadership failed massively in allowing people's confidential private information to be released publicly. People that have permits, people that own guns. And yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Big, big, yeah. big, big time problem. I mean, I mean how would yeah. you feel? I mean, I'm, folks, if, tell you what, podcast listeners, if you are a California resident and you have been impacted by this, I'd love to hear from you. You can always email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you were in, uh, 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 impacted as a result of this major data breach, I'd love to hear from you. Please send, send me an email. Let us hear from you, your perspective on this. But this is, I can't even imagine, like if I, I'm trying to put myself in 
your shoes, you California's shoes, of w- w- what that would feel like. I, I'm, I'm pretty careful. I don't really talk to my neighbors very much about what I do. I don't talk much. Like, you know, there's a whole knock next door app, right? You know, like I, I, I'm on there because I like to pay attention to what's going on in my neighborhood and what people are talking about. And I always have to hold myself back because people will talk about pers- like uh, uh, personal or home security type things. And I want to like chime in and be like, yeah, don't do that. Or, oh, this would be a good idea. to do-. Like, I don't want to be known as the guy in my neighborhood it, that, ha- you know, that knows this stuff and has the guns and all that, right? Like, I'm pretty careful about that sort of thing personal security, right? Per sec. Hmm. And uh, I would be absolutely mortified if my personal information, letting the whole world know that I have concealed carry. I mean, obviously people know me as a somewhat public figure, but to just put it out there so that any Joe, Jane, whoever could download a database with my name, with my address, with my birth date and whatever else. And the fact that I have a permit and the fact that I have a gun, and this is where you can find me at like, that would be terrifying. Yeah, it, it, it's it's terrible. I mean, think think about this. Think about you jump through all the hoops that California requires, uh, you know, to get a, a concealed carry license to protect yourself from an ex, and you've you know moved, you've changed your phone number, you've changed addresses because they're a threat to you, and 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 now your name pops up with your address and all this stuff. And, and, and so this is, this is terrible. And, you know, it, it, it says, it says the, the report showed that confidential personal data was downloaded approximately 2,734 times in full or in part across 507 unique IP addresses, adding the investigation could not accurately determine the number of public visitors who may have only viewed, but did not download the underlying data set. I mean, this is, this is, this is really unfortunate. And it just, it shows that that there is no accountability. Like Mm -hmm. the, the, it, the, the, this is what they say, ill-trained technician, right? Compounded by managerial failure to double check its integrity. Sorry, guys. I mean, and, and the problem is, is I don't even know if people would even know that their da- that it, who has their data, right? Like if I have a concealed carry license in California, the, I'm sure the 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 uh, DOJ probably sent a letter to all you know uh, permit holders saying, "Oh, your your information was possibly leaked in a data breach, and you know we we apologize for that." But we don't Here, even know. Here's who one has free it. year. Here's one free year of uh, you know <laughs> uh, what do they call that? Not credit monitoring, but uh, personal i don't know whatever you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> life lock life whatever. yeah right right i guess that is kind of credit monitoring and all that but yeah uh <laughs> yeah it's just i mean you wouldn't even know who has now you know it would be different if they came out and said hey we know we track these these ip addresses we know who had it you know but they don't know they they're not going to do that and and so this information's out there and hopefully nothing bad you know, comes from it, but it's just an example of why, you know, these types of databases and these types of things, it happens all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. It, it, yep. you, so, I don't know. So, you know, the, the amazing thing is, is that a lot, and this happens quite often when on the podcast, you know, where we'll talk about one thing and it 
circles back around and relates to something else in the podcast. But talking about that part of the Oregon ballot measure where they're going to create a state registry of firearms, firearm ownership, firearms purchases, uh, Oregon, take note of this major, major personal security, private, you know, personal privacy uh, uh, failure in the state of California. And by golly, I mean, and, and in Oregon, they're trying to rush through this process of bringing this whole system up online, right? Like that just begs for a major failure to occur also in the state of Oregon. The, the problem here with something like this, Matthew, and you know this, is that I mean, it was downloaded, like you said, like 2,700 times. Um, it, it, once it's out there, it's out there. Like that information mm-hmm. is somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be seriously looking at trying to move <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's just crazy, man. Crazy. And, and, and again, I, I, I just find it comical that there's even any mention of an ill-trained technician. By golly, don't blame this technician. Okay. Unless, unless he was, or she was told specifically this, this, this don't do, you know, or don't release this, this, this. And, and like they completely disregarded their instructions, but still at the end of the day, don't blame them. Turn it on yourselves and blame yourselves for your failure in leadership and management and for allowing this to occur. Something like that, that's that critical should be double checked and triple checked and cross checked and made sure that before it goes live, Somebody with authority has reviewed it. I mean, it's kind of how we operate within our small little business. For yep. I mean, we we you know, there's stuff that gets out sometimes. I'm talking about like you know, whether it's an article or a video that get published, uh, you know, on our site that we're like, oh shoot, wish we'd caught that. You know, it's a spelling error or whatever. You know, but all the time, like stuff gets thrown across my desk, and I'm you know reviewing it for that very reason. Like, hey, before we put this out there, we want to make sure it's right. Yep, it's not that hard. And it's essentially, and it's essential for a state level government releasing what could be private information. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Let's see. Now we get to a, kind of a follow up to another story. We've talked about this before. We've probably talked about. I feel like we've talked about it more than once, Matthew. Actually, in the past, probably, yeah. Uh, on the website guns.news, a story called Democrats want to use banks to squelch gun purchases like they used social media to silence political opponents. This is interesting and timely because of everything that's coming out and that we're starting to learn about suppression of First Amendment speech or free speech on social media and that there appears to have been collusion. There's certainly some evidence that points that way that uh, Elon Musk and, you know, has been releasing from Twitter um, of collusion between government officials and social media giants to suppress free speech. And well, it should be no surprise to us at all that uh, certain government people legislators would and, and and i'm sure even the white house themselves would love to use the banking system to control the second amendment as well we've talked about it before we've talked about things that have been proposed and have been talked about we've talked about the potential failures and concerns about that stuff and so this is really just a follow-up and i, th- I thought it was a really important follow-up 
because as there are as there are senators and representatives in the government that would love to continue to push this forward and make this a thing, uh, fortunately, at least one major uh, payment network, okay, Visa, for instance, says here that it, and I'm just quoting here from this article here, says Visa has stated it doesn't have access to data showing the products consumers are actually buying. This means the network and its banking partners would have no idea if a gun store customer is purchasing an automatic rifle or safety equipment. And Matthew, I, th- I seem to recall, I think we even brought something like that up the last time we talked about this story of trying to use uh, coding in, uh, on purchases, you know, electronic purchases made to track firearm-related purchases. And I, I, I feel like, I could be mis- misremembering, but I swear we, we brought the point of how are they going to know if I go to, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and I spend $500, how do they know that $500 is on uh, a gun or I bought a bunch of iPro, EarPro, and like camping equipment? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's obviously right now practical limitations on what, you know, something uh, like Visa can track. Um, And and they've basically said it, at least that's what Visa is saying, right? Like who knows if they can, they have the ability or are working on the ability. I'm sure that eventually they will. I mean, PayPal does it right. They know pretty much basic, you know, what you're buying, but this is, this is concerning. If you think about this and just pause it for a moment, and there's a huge shift to electronic currency. Uh, there, you know, most transactions are done online or you know through credit card transactions. And so, if you went that last step to just kind of eliminate paper currency, and and, and I'm not like conspiracy theorists over here and all this. I'm just saying, if we go to a complete electronic currency. I'm pretty sure the infrastructure would be there shortly after to to track exactly what you're buying and make sure you pay the government every tax cent on everything you purchase and all you know. So um, this is this is maybe the the yeah. way the future goes. You know, I agree with I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it's it's nice and convenient that I can uh, swipe my my credit card or even tap and pay with my phone. Like that's pretty cool. But the more and more electronic we become with that, you're absolutely right. There is a risk that even greater control over us as people, uh, as at that point, perhaps no longer free, free people, but as subjects of the government, uh, that, that, that what we buy is, is tracked and, and, uh, that's that definitely that infrastructure. I would say that infrastructure is already there yeah. to a large extent, right? And that yeah. is kind of scary when you really think about it. Yeah. So anyway, something to be to think about and be aware of. At least that there are some reasonable things coming out of some of these banks and institutions and payment networks like Visa saying, "Well, hold up, guys. Uh, this may not work the way you think it's going to work." Uh, is how are we going to know what exactly is on that list of items on a receipt, right? At the mm-hmm. end of the day, uh, because yeah, gun shops do sell more than just guns and ammo. So, yep. 
definitely worthwhile to you know consider and think a little bit more thoroughly through such policy. And of course, we're not advocating for any such policy, but uh, anyway. All right, gundigest.com. All right, this brings us to what sort of inspired the title of this episode today, Smith & Wesson's Big Mistake. Uh, so I saw recently, it's like a week or so ago, uh, maybe it's been two weeks, Smith & Wesson announced a new pistol. Okay. Now, earlier this year, they announced, it was like back in August or September, they released their Metal Series M&P uh, pistols. Uh, this is just like their, you know, their, their M&P M2.0 pistols, uh, which have been polymer framed since the beginning, but they, you know, now released them in an aluminum frame. Well, two weeks ago, they released this new competitor version. It's called the M&P9 M2.0 Competitor. And at first I saw, it, I, I, you know, like on the surface, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is good. You know, maybe a, another player in that space that has been dominated by you know, guns like the Smith and West or not the uh, the Six Sour P320 X5 Legion, which is the number one pistol in carry optics competition in USPSA. Um, also, other companies coming on real strong in recent history, uh, Canic with uh, the, their their new competition focused pistol, the uh, the Rival, which is uh, designed in part with uh, input from the reigning you know, four time, I think that or five time champ this year, uh, Nils Jonathan. Uh, also, uh, Beretta has been coming on real strong uh, in the last year or two with, uh, their, their M nine based, you know, or, uh, Beretta 92 based pistols, uh, that, that are a lot more competition friendly. And you're seeing a lot more competitors starting to use the Berettas again in competition shooting. So it's like, cool. On the surface, I saw this new pistol from Smith and Wesson and thought, great. Another player, uh, I, I, I love choices. I love freedom. I love people being able to have good choices to choose from and then run, you know, their chosen equipment in competition. Okay. But, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, the big, the big, but, uh, <laughs> the more I started looking at this new M2.0 competitor pistol, the more it got worse for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm struggling to understand like who at Smith and Weston is calling the shots on some of this stuff. Okay. Cause basically the only thing I could see that this pistol would be suitable for as a, com- as a competition pistol would be in outlaw, uh, three gun, because I don't even know that it would work well in USPSA multi-gun and from a equipment standpoint. So, so here's the thing. The new pistol has a, has its, has the metal aluminum frame. Okay, just like the metal series that were released earlier this year, it's got a five-inch barrel. Uh, the barrel or the slide's got some some slide cuts in it, you know, like that's the that's all the rage these days. It does have some full height slide serrations on the front portion of the slide, uh, which Sig or geez, sorry, <laughs> earlier I mixed Smith and Wesson for Sig, and now I'm mixing Sig for Smith and Wesson. But anyway, Smith and Wesson has been, you know, they haven't really put. Uh, forward cocking serrations on their their slides much in the past. You, they give you those little tiny ones, but uh, so this has got full height cocking serrations in the front. It's got a magwell. Okay, fine, great. Uh, it's got their you know supposed improved M point M two M two trigger. It's got an optics cut and it's got sights, of course. Well, 
but let's break this down in a little bit greater detail. First of all, the magwell. I'll start there. We'll, we'll go from the bottom to the top, work our way up. Uh, if we're talking about competition, which for pistol shooting, USPSA is the biggest uh, pistol shooting, you know, competition in, in, in the country. Okay. So that's where most of your pistol shooting occurs at. Um, Magwells are only permitted in open and limited divisions or limited 10, I suppose too, but nobody really cares about limited 10. So are you going to shoot this gun in open division? No, it's not an open gun. Are you going to shoot it in limited division? Um, Unless your name starts with Nils and ends with Jonathan, no, uh, because most competitors in limited division are shooting with 40 caliber guns, and this is a nine. Now, you could probably could convert this to a 40 relatively easy, since 40 caliber barrels do already exist from Smith and Wesson, so that's certainly a possibility. But it's still not an ideal limited division gun. Uh, this would seem to be more in line with what you would expect to use in like carry optics, because it already has an optics cut. But you can't have magwells in carry optics. And you can't have magwells in production division. So it comes with a magwell. All right. I guess, you know, in all fairness, it is removable. And the P320X5 and X5 Legions come with a magwell that almost everybody removes because nobody's using them in magwell permitted divisions. All right. That's fine. I'll cut them some slack there. Let's look at the frame. It's aluminum frame. All right. That's cool. On the surface, we think metal. Metal's cool, metal's rigid, metal's strong, metal's heavy, or is it? And this is actually probably the biggest flop, I think, with this pistol. So I was on their website, Matthew, the other night, cruising through, looking at their different pistol options. And I was really curious, what is the advertised weight of this new competitor pistol? And I look it up, and it's like 29.7 ounces. And I'm like, that's not very heavy. I'm like, but how does that compare to their polymer-framed versions of the same gun, or essentially the same gun? The slide looks a little bit different in, in the case of these other models, but the closest comparable is their 5-inch versions of the M&P M2.0. Okay, so their 5-inch polymer-framed model weighs like 30.2 ounces. So the polymer-framed gun weighs more than the metal-framed gun. Because the metal frame gun's made from aluminum, and aluminum's not that heavy. <laughs> and ironically, in this case, the polymer one, the polymer itself weighs more than apparently the aluminum. Now, that may or may not be true, and it could be that they actually removed more weight out of the slide on this competitor gun, and that might have attributed to the, the weight difference. Uh, but the point is, is like we've seen more of this movement towards heavier pistols for competition because it tames the recoil a little bit. And well, that's not a bad thing when you're trying to go max speed in a USPSA uh, practical pistol stage. Now, to be fair, not to talk only about USPSA, IDPA. IDPA, you could shoot this gun and carry optics using the mag well. It'd probably fit in there pretty well. But here's another knock I'm going to give on it. The sights. The sights are not competition-oriented sights. It's got what looks like the high-vis combination. It doesn't say it's got the tritium ones, at least that I could find. But the sights look like the same sight that high-vis makes that has a fiber optic insert. And a lot of times they have also the tritium in them as well. But either way, th this is a big, fat, wide front sight which almost no serious competitor wants to use. We usually want a wider rear notch and a narrower front sight. And that's another thing. 
a lot of competition pistols that you see have adjustable rear sights. This one does not. So I saw this, and I again at first I'm like, oh, this is a this is new and exciting. But the more I looked, the more I went, eh, why'd they do that? Oh, why'd they do that? That's dumb. And so that's why I called this Smith and Wesson's big mistake. I think it's going to be a big flop. They'll probably sell a few. There'll probably be a few folks out there that, that use them in competition and that's fine. Uh, but it's not going to take over the world by storm, uh, similar to the way the X5 legions have, or even the way the Canics and the Berettas are coming on really strong right now. It just won't because it doesn't fit cleanly in any divisions. And one of the big benefits of using the, the, X5 Legion or the Canic Rival or the some of the new guns from Beretta is you can buy them and run them effectively in competition right out of the box without changing a thing. And if I bought this gun, I'd probably change some stuff before I actually could run it in competition. And that cost me that cost me money and cost me time. Yeah. Well, and, and the worst thing about it, and I know you notice this, Riley, because this is something that you always pick out is the lack of grip texturing. <laughs> that's you. That's your thing. I'm, I'm surprised. I left it off. I'm not, I left it off. Why? I mean, you listed everything else. Okay. So, you know, it's <laughs> funny you said that because uh, somebody was actually talking about, it was actually Donovan Moore who is well known. He's a very, very high level shooter and is also his trading company is called Point One Tactics. Uh, he's a multiple black belt patch uh recipient from uh, Scott Jelinski. Uh, Donovan Moore is a serious, serious shooter, and he shoots M&P pistols. Uh, he did a, a YouTube video about this, and he basically just railed on this new gun. He's like, guys, don't buy it, because this gun is overpriced, and you can get just as good a gun by, like, you can go buy, you can go find a M&P M2.0 for like 400 bucks if you really are, you know, shop smartly and look around you'll find one for like 400 bucks and you'll be already light years ahead in terms of your your monetary investment than if you go and spend whatever this thing i think it was like 9.99 is its msrp so street price probably like i don't know eight uh nine eight eight fifty bucks but he, his whole point was you this is this is just a, a real slick marketing gimmick and uh you're overpaying for it if you buy one or you just want to look cool and, and have the latest, coolest gadget. That's fine too, I guess, you know, but, uh, uh so I, I thought that was interesting coming from a guy that is a huge MMP fan because that's what he shoots and he shoots very, very, very well, but he's not keen on this either. Uh, and he, his comment about the grip texture was, well, you, you get basically the same gun as like a standard M 2.0, but less grippy. <laughs> <laughs> You're going the wrong way. So, I don't know. Brian Schuler comments, what are the aluminum frame competition pistols that are accepted by the competitors? Uh, well, so, okay. So, so the Beretta pistols, um, so those are aluminum frame. Um, the, the, you know, the lower portion of the gun is the, you can also run a P320 with the AXG grip module, which is an aluminum grip module. And I've seen a few competitors run those. Uh, 
it's not, you know, it, it kind of depends on what you want, what you're looking for, uh, what you're looking for in terms of grip feel and fit to your hand and the type of grip texture you want. There's there's pros and cons to almost everything. I'm a huge fan of the X5 Legion with its uh, tungsten infused uh, polymer grip module that weighs, you know, I, I re- I'm really happy with a 43 and a half ounce gun, which is basically what my competition gun weighs. It, it It's very, very soft shooting, but it's not so heavy. I can't transition quickly with it uh i frankly would love to see more guns using similar technology with a like a tungsten infused polymer type technology but i'm pretty sure sig patented that and so you'd have to use it on license from them and of course that would require sig agreeing to allow a competitor to use their technology uh so i i'm a real big fan of that because you get a kind of all the benefits of a steel gun and that's kind of what people are saying about this new competitor pistol from Smith & Wesson is if you want to do it right, make this thing in steel. Like Walter did with their competition gun. They came out with the Q5 first and then a few years later they came out with the Q5 SF or steel frame which is a fantastic gun. Bit spendy and that's the, that's part of the challenge is a steel framed gun is a lot more expensive to make than an aluminum framed gun. And even aluminum and steel are more expensive to make than a polymer frame gun. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm really partial to the, I, I like the way SIG did it with the X5 Legion because it's pretty inexpensive to make. I mean, that's not an inexpensive gun either, but w- you can find them. If you shop around, you can find an X5 Legion for like seven, low seven, seven fifty. That's a, a, honestly a really solid buy for a truly like competition ready gun, in my opinion. But anyway, Good questions there. All right, so we're running out of time. We still got to do a couple of reviews. Uh, Matthew, why don't you go first? Tell us, uh, what, what are you reviewing for us today? So I'll just go real quick because uh, I'm actually working on the review for this product, but I'll give you guys a little sneak peek. Uh, I'm, I'm trying out some stuff from a company called CCW Breakaways. I'm not going to hold up on the camera because there's not much to see. It's a, But they have a system of clothing, uh, pants, and shorts for people that carry uh, pocket carry. And basically, you know, the, the, the pockets, uh, have some, uh, material inside that helps, um, keep the, keep the, the holster put inside, uh, you know, and in place as you draw the firearm in, and the, the breakaway portion of it is, uh, the, as you reach into the, to the pocket, it's, it, it opens up. There's some snap systems that are, that you don't see They're They're kind of hidden. And as you, your hand goes in, it kind of opens up the pocket, which facilitates an easier or, um, you know, an easier draw coming out of the, out of the uh, pocket, less chance of snagging and, and that type of thing. Um, so I'm working on that. Uh, so far, you know, if, if you like, um, Pocket carrying, if you you pocket carry, um, you know, you might want to check out the review probably sometime uh, next week or something like that, maybe after Christmas. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, I've been using it actually with a, with a P365 and I'm a small dude. I, my pockets aren't big on my pants, but I've actually been uh, testing this out, pocket carrying a P365. And uh, so it's, it's been, it's, it's worked. So uh, yeah, so check it out or be you know, tuned in to, for the uh, full review of uh, exactly uh, what I think about uh, a c- couple different products from CCW breakaways, but their main, their main product is, is their line of pants and shorts that have that breakaway pocket. Yeah. Cool. Cool. 
Right on, dude. That's interesting. I, you know, I've, I've been aware of that product for a while, and yeah, I don't know if I'm. I'm glad you're the one reviewing it. I, yeah. I don't. I don't particularly have a personal desire. Uh, it doesn't fit any purpose for me personally. But I, I, yeah, I love. I love to hear what you come away with it. So yeah, cool. I, I, do, I don't pocket carry. You know, but I know a lot of people do. And so if if this is an op, uh, you know, to test it out, and see if this is a option for for people. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. Yeah, cool. Hey, one quick quick uh, correction. I, I think I mentioned uh, just a minute ago in response to Brian's question uh, about uh, aluminum frame pistols. The there are Beretta pistols that are aluminum framed, but the one their most their newest competition focused ones. I uh, did confirm they are steel frame. Uh, by that, they're ninety two X performance pistols. They have the ninety two X performance, ninety two X performance carry optic pistol. Those are very much. Uh, geared towards the competition market, and those do actually come with a steel frame. But a lot of the other Bread 92s are made with aluminum frames, and you could certainly run one of the aluminum framed ones in competition. Uh, but that steel frame give you a little bit more weight and probably be a little bit softer to shoot. So, anyway, just wanted to make sure I clarified that because I did misspeak on that. My review today is on the Hunter's HD Gold WX or Wiley X framed. See that. Hunter's HD Gold lenses, but in the WX Valor frames. So Hunter's HD Gold been around for a few years. Uh, in all full disclosure, I am sponsored by Hunter's HD Gold, and I'm very appreciative to Brian uh, Conley over there, Hunter's HD Gold, and his team, and for the amazing products they that they create. Uh, but for a number of years, you know, they had a great product, and here's my first set of glasses right here that I got from Hunter's HD Gold. Uh, I can't remember what these ones are called. I, I apologize, Brian, if you happen to be listening to this. But, but you know, these are great glasses. They, they protect your eyes really well. They wrap around the fa uh, face. The frames and lenses are rated uh, ballistically, so you know that you're properly protected when shooting. Uh, when shooting steel especially, it's really important, or just shooting in general. These are great protective glasses, but they don't necessarily look the sexiest, <laughs> you know. Uh, and a while back, Brian started partnering with uh, other companies and getting a hold of their frames, like Wiley X. And uh, I know that they've done some some Oakleys and some other things like that. But you can go right on Hunter's HD Gold website right now and buy this ready to go, ship right to your house, no wait. I mean, from the time I ordered these to the time they showed up at my doorstep was like six days or something, uh, which is awesome. A much better, more stylish looking pair of glasses. Uh, I went with these because I, I liked the way they looked and they are open framed across the bottom. So I'm, I don't feel like I'm as boxed in as I am when I'm wearing these ones, which are full framed and just looking for something different. So I picked these up. Hunter's HD Gold, if you're not familiar, the lenses are this proprietary gold color. They are photochromatic, meaning that they change with the sunlight. So as you go outside, they darken. You come inside, they lighten. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a weird thing. You put these on and wear them for like two minutes. It doesn't take long at all. If I start wearing them right now, in a few seconds, really, almost, it, the at first everything's yellow, but then it starts sort of disappearing. Like you just stop noticing that everything's yellow and it feels natural. Uh, so... I uh, 
I put these on, wear them actually all the time and forget I'm wearing them sometimes. I, I mean, I say wear them all the time. I'll wear them in the shop working on holsters or doing other things to protect my eyes from debris. Uh, I wear them when, when driving, uh, especially for the sun glass, you know, I want them to, to dim when I'm driving and, and make it a little bit easier to drive in the bright sunlight. Uh, but they still transmit a lot of light. So you can even wear them even in low light conditions. I'll wear them. Uh, I, I've worn these, well, not this specific pair, but I've worn Hunter's HD Gold doing low light classes. No problem. I've worn them driving at night. No problem. And in fact, I almost feel like I can see better with them on at night than without them, which is a weird, weird, weird thing. Uh, but I'll like go back and forth. I'll be driving and it's, you know, it's nighttime and I'm like, put them on, take them off, put them on, take them off. I'm like, I, I, I almost feel like they're, it's easier to see with them on. So I don't know what it is about Brian and his uh, unique technology, but these are fantastic glasses. And I know Jared here is commenting that they, you know, he lo- they lost his interest when they won the same price for RX lenses as for RX complete glasses. Hunter's uh, AC Gold is not inexpensive. Okay, I'll be straight up with you. These are not inexpensive glasses. I think this pair is like $375. Okay, that's not cheap. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing a couple things about me. I don't like to go cheap on the pants I wear, the shoes I put on my feet, or the stuff I put on my face, especially when it comes to glasses. And I truly, truly love wearing these glasses. love wearing them at the range, love wearing them in classes, love wearing them teaching, love wearing them shooting and competing, love wearing them driving. Uh, I couldn't be happier. And so that's just my take. I feel like they're worth it. They may not be worth it to you and that's okay. They're not inexpensive, but they work as advertised. Here's what I notice when I'm shooting with them. I feel like the contrast, and this obviously this is a perceived thing, but talking with other people, other people seem to agree. But the contrast of targets and things, it seems to pop more. I can see the targets better. I can see, particularly if I'm looking at like a USPSA target, I could see the perforations in the hit zones better when, and I could, I could sit, stand there and take it off and take, you know, and put it on back and forth, back and forth. And it's very, very noticeable for me and for my eyes that I can see the hit zones on the target much more clearly when I'm wearing the glasses versus other standard eye protective eyewear. And if you think, well, I'll just get some protective eye lens, eye, eye glasses that have yellow lens. They're not the same. I've tested some of the other yellow ones and they, they just don't quite pop quite the same way. So there's something to that. There's something special to them. They are expensive. Uh, I know that Brian will give you your money back if you're not happy. So you're welcome to try them and see what you think. But anyway, that's my quick review on the Wiley X Valor frames with Hunter's HD gold lenses. I think they're a winner. I love the styling of these ones and I love wearing them. Cool. So Very cool. There you go. Well, that brings us to a conclusion of today's episode. Uh, I do want to let you know before we go, uh, the next episode that you see in the podcast feed will be a special announcement. Uh, We're actually going to do that here momentarily. So those of you that are watching this live, uh, you're going to get a notification from us here in like five minutes, uh, maybe 10, of us going live again and recording that special announcement regarding the podcast and some things 
coming in the future. So we want to let everybody know about that. So stay tuned. I wanted to make make you aware of that so that you can uh, look for that special uh, podcast episode announcement. Before we go, a reminder to support our sponsors, silencershop.com and ccwsafe.com. Appreciate your support of them that support us and make it possible to do what we do. And so, Matthew, final words? Uh, Thanks, guys. And uh, like always, uh, it's just a pleasure that you guys listen and uh, makes it all worthwhile for us. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. So, folks, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.